0: On this episode, I want to look at a very famous uh, person, in my opinion, who is very underappreciated and underrated. Um, That's Will Durant, the historian, who I might have mentioned on a previous episode. Will Durant and Ariel Durant, his wife, were, uh, I guess, historians, you could say, but just very passionate people that wrote encyclopedic volumes on different aspects of history. I mean, a wide range. You can look at all their books. Um, You can buy, like, the full set. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of theirs, and I really wanted to give attention to their work. So, um, what we'll will be describing and going over on this episode is Will Durant's book, Caesar and Christ. Now, this book talks about the Roman Empire, uh, its rise and fall, different aspects of it, like d- democracy. And, um, you know, it, it, it kind of goes through the whole thing. But mainly, I'm focused on the epilogue, which is at the very end. It's about five pages after the book, and it kind of summarizes the book, um, which is why I'm doing it this way. And my hope for this is that, you know, some people look at the United States today, and they really equate it to Rome. And I do think there's a lot of parallels, more more similarities than differences. Um, but, you know, that, it is a question that keeps coming up. You know, are we Rome? Or is, the, is what we're experiencing today the same as what the Roman Empire um you know what they went through, um, but, and there's different opinions out there, but so i kind of just leave it to the reader or listener to determine that and when I'm reading the epilogue. but one thing to remember in my opinion about Rome, you know, the Roman Empire is that it wasn't it wasn't just an empire You know we, we refer to it as a Roman empire, but it was you know a republic first and then it, it decayed, you know it became an empire and then it just it went through all the stages, but for some reason we only focus on the empire part. Um, of course, you know, because it's, it's like the greatness of the Roman Empire, and you, you, you focus on that part, especially Caesar. And Caesar is just a small dot, really, in the whole history of Rome. I mean, I think maybe, what, four years he was in charge? He was a leader for like four years. That's like a half of a presidential term in the United States. But yet he's such a dynamic figure that everyone uh, focuses on. But there's, again, so much of Rome that people don't look at it, that goes unnoticed, and I think it's important when really trying to make that distinction between the United States and the Roman um, Republic slash Empire slash whatever you want to call it. So I want to read the epilogue, and I'm going to actually read most of this. It's only four pages, like I said. Um, Typically I'll kind of go through and I'll pick out parts that I want to elaborate on, but it's very interesting and we'll kind of go through it together, so I'll be reading um, the epilogue of Caesar and Christ by Will Durant. And Alright, let's start. So, Will Durant starts out by uh, quoting another historian. So, it says, quote, The two greatest problems in history, says a brilliant scholar of our time, are how to account for the rise of Rome and how to account for her fall. We may come nearer to understanding them if we remember that the fall of Rome, like her rise, had not one cause but many, and was not an event but a process spread over 300 years. Some nations have not lasted as long as Rome fell." So a very important thing here um, is that the decay, according to Will Durant, and it's true if you really study it, wasn't a sudden, the the fall of Rome wasn't one sudden event overnight. Like any nation, like any civilization, the, the process really takes place over a long period of time. Now, 300 years is a long time, but... If you look at for example the United States we haven't we're not even 300 years old and look look at us we're we're falling pretty rapidly so that last sentence there some nations have not lasted as long as Rome fell that might be us that might be the, the United States so one distinction between us and the Roman empire is that I don't think we'll last anywhere near Rome I mean that's like a 1000 year empire more than that and the US look at what's going on today do you really think we're going to last 300 years I mean, we might, there's some things that could keep us afloat, but to be experiencing the problems that we're experiencing now, which I'll get into, and lining them up next to Rome, uh, it's just, it, it doesn't look good. And another thing to keep in mind is that just because you're born in a time period, um, it doesn't mean that, you know, it's everything's from your perspective. For example, if you were born in the 80s, like myself, um, there's people before us, before me, that wrote about the decay of this country, of the United States. They saw things that people after them didn't see. And I want to give one example that I actually thought of recently. Um, so my grandmother, when she was alive, uh, she visited in the early 90s. And I was watching a show, and in the show there was a man that had earrings on. Um, now, grow- me as a young boy, as a, as a kid growing up in the 90s, Obviously, I didn't have an experienced life or anything. That was the, that's like the norm to me. It's like a bubble for myself and for my generation. So we don't we didn't experience what came before us. Yeah, that was like what we're used to. So for me, I thought you know that was cool. That was whatever. That that's the norm. But my grandma, I remember she was looking at this guy on TV and thinking, "Look what's happening to this world. Men are wearing earrings. They're becoming more feminized. All this stuff." And in hindsight, I mean, it's it's true. She saw things that. She saw seeds planted that would sprout later. I mean, look at now, you know, you want to talk about, you know, feminine men or whatnot. The, the older generation before us sees things that we don't see because they have that, um, that lived experience that we don't have because they didn't grow up in that bubble. So what I'm getting at is that when Will Durant here says that the process spread over 300 years, you have to keep in mind that these things take time, they're methodical, it's a slow decay. Um, it's, it starts out with conditioning people to accept things, which they're going to resist, and then ultimately the culture accepts it, and then you move on to the next thing, and you just keep progressing more and more, until you eventually collapse. So, that's the opening paragraph of Why Rome Fell, the epilogue of Caesar and Christ. And the next sentence is actually um, one of the most famous sentences, uh, quotes, actually, of Will Durant. And if you've seen the movie Apocalypto, um, I believe Mel Gibson made that movie, it's, this is the quote that appears in the beginning, and it's a very powerful quote, and it's very true. So, if you remember this quote, it, just know that it's Will Durant, and that is, a great civilization is not conquered from without until, has, until it has destroyed itself within. So, again, you know, and this is, I'll explain exactly what he means by this. So, you have these nations and civilizations that are so powerful, and then ultimately, you know, someone might conquer them from the outside, or they'll decay or whatever, but... It's not like they were strong and then someone came in. The the collapse really starts from the inside. It starts from the institutional collapses, the the cultural collapse. Um, So many examples that we're going to just jump into right here. So uh, remember that as we um, continue on. So he continues and says, The essential causes of Rome's decline lay in her people, her morals, her class struggle, her failing trade, her bureaucratic despotism, her stifling taxes, her consuming wars. And then he goes on and says, Barbarian inroads and centuries of mining the richer veins had doubtlessly lowered Rome's supply of the precious metals. In central and southern Italy, deforestation, erosion, and the neglect of irrigation canals by diminishing peasantry and a disordered government had left Italy poorer than before. Now I want to pause here because the next part is pretty interesting. So he's talking about deforestation and neglecting um, canals. And, uh, you know, mining precious metals and all this stuff And typically, if someone's listening to this, like some hardcore liberal They might say, well look, this is proof of like climate change This is what's happening now, whatever But the next sentence says, the cause, however, was no inherent exhaustion of the soil No change in climate, but the negligence and sterility of harassed and discouraged men So it's really the fault of the people, you know So it's, for example, like look at the Flint water crisis You know, the bad pipes and all that uh, you kind you of st- you start neglecting your infrastructure your things like that you, there's this barrier where you know p- some people in Flint have uh, crappy drinking water whereas some people in Beverly Hills have amazing water and different resources and, and quality infrastructure so one of the causes of a decline in a nation is this divide between um, people not just in terms of wealth but in terms of their own infrastructure that's something you see and the reason for that is because, The politicians who become corrupt, they start allocating the money. um, This is something that um, Carol Quigley talks about. They start allocating the money to themselves and these grand projects for themselves, and they neglect the people. Um, So Will Durant very briefly touches on this here, but continuing, he says, Biological factors were more fundamental. A serious decline of population appears in the West after Hadrian. It has been questioned, but the mass importation of barbarians into the empire by... Aurelius, and he names like four other people, leaves little room for doubt. Aurelius, to replenish his army, enrolled slaves, gladiators, policemen, criminals. Either the crisis was greater or the free population less than before, and the slave population had certainly fallen. So one thing here is that you're going to see the term barbarian, and what they mean by barbarians is basically, um, I don't want, this is going to be controversial, but it's, it's basically like immigrants, so when he says barbarians, they're referring to like immigrants that come in. I'm not saying immigrants are barbarians or whatever, but it's just outside people that aren't uh, native to the culture, to the norms, to the traditions of the central um, nation or civilization. They're they're outsiders, basically, and you'll see why that is um, here soon. So he continues, and he talks about a shortage of men. Um... In Greece, the depopulation had been going on for centuries. In Alexandria, which had boasted of its numbers, Bishop Dionysus calculated that the population had in his time, which is the year 250, been halved. He mourned to see the human race diminishing and constantly wasting away. Only the barbarians and the Orientals were increasing outside the empire and within. So I highlighted that. So this is very interesting because we see in our time here the uh, lower birth rates among actual um like native americans um, whereas immigrants come in here with kids already and then they have more kids here uh and so we know that there's diminishing birth rates now the factors for that we can debate that um one factor i'm sure people will talk about is the hypersexualization of the culture you know when you have like pornography and all this stuff going around i don't want to get into why but you can kind of figure out why people aren't really reproducing or um Increasing their numbers, you know, or another factor, obviously, is economic factors. A lot of times, you'll see people talking about, uh, and rightfully, you know, that they can't afford a house. They they're buried in debt, um, which is a cause of you know government. So they're buried in debt. They um, they're trying to find jobs. They are they can't afford houses. Inflation's high. Um, all these factors, and rightfully so. Like I said, you don't want to have kids in these circumstances when you can't really um, give them a good quality of life, whereas the last generation before us had multiple kids. They had five, seven, eight, whatever types of kids. Nowadays, maybe one to two kids if that max, you know? So there is a declining birth rate, again, among the Native Americans, Native people here in this country, whereas the people coming from outside, they're, they're having more kids and they um, are coming in here and having more kids. So the, so the culture is changing. So look at Texas, for example. You have an increase in the Hispanic population. Um, L- L.A., whatever, you know. China just increased their uh, one-child policy to I believe like three, ch- three children. Um, Africa, you know, people are dirt poor there in some areas, and they're still having kids. So it's really affluence has actually affected um, significantly the, uh, the birth rate. But again, I'm talking about now, but it's similar to Rome. It's the same thing. He was saying that the, the immigrants, basically the barbarians, um, and the orientals were increasing, but the people inside were not. So, he continues, what had caused this fallen population? Above all, family limitation. Practiced first by the educated classes, it had now seeped down to a proletariat named for its fertility. By, eight, by, by 100 AD, it had reached the agricultural classes, as shown by the use of imperial elementa to encourage rural parentage. By the 3rd century, it had overrun the western provinces and was lowering manpower in Gaul. Though branded as a crime, infanticide f- flourished as poverty grew. Sexual excesses may have reduced human fertility. The avoidance or deferment of marriage had a like effect. So fascinating here. He's saying everything I just said, and I completely forgot that this was even in here. So infanticide flourishing. So, I mean, you could say abortion here. I mean, I don't care. I'll say that. We have a celebrating the killing of kids at nine months, eight months, whatever it is, we're we're literally celebrating the abort aborting of life. Um, so that's maybe you know a cause of the population declining. Sexual excesses, like I mentioned, um, are reducing human fertility. Another thing, um, there's studies now about plastics and endocrine changing hormones that are in our food, in our water, in our packaging that we touch every day that are significantly affecting uh, male testosterone levels and male sperm count, um, very significantly. I would recommend looking up uh, that, and maybe I can link it in the show notes. But there's a lot of studies that show that is having an effect on, on men, also, and their ability to reproduce. And then, again, the the avoidance of or deferment of marriage. So people don't want to get married, they don't want to settle down have families. That's part of the hypersexualization. You know, you're going from partner to partner, uh, you know, you're aborting your kids or whatever it is, and you're just not having families and therefore you're not reproducing. Now, some people too, the hardcore people might say, well, they're not having families because um, of climate change. That's another thing that they're using to um, make people, make kids not have um, families and responsibilities. You know, people don't want to have kids to lower their carbon footprint or whatever and all this stuff. Yet, it's funny how the people that have power they have kids, you know, and they uh, give their kids inheritances and they, they make sure their bloodline is secure, yet they uh, discourage the, the lower populations and our youth today to have kids and do that stuff. And then they create the, um, the circumstances to make it difficult for them. So just something to keep in mind. So yeah, those, those three or four examples right there of why people aren't having kids um, definitely is, is concerning because there's a, certainly a correlation between Rome in that aspect, and us today. And then he continues, Second only to family limitation as a cause of lessened population were the slaughters of pestilence, revolution, and war. Epidemics of major proportions decimated the population under Aurelius, Galenius, and Constantine. So he's talking about a plague here that happened, um, uh, you know, the famines and plagues and whatnot. Now, don't compare this to COVID or whatever, but... Um, yeah, I mean, in their time, they had plagues and whatnot and and things like that that really hurt the population. And then there was war. I mean, we're drone striking people. We're sending our, our troops to go die for, for who knows what overseas, um, you know, increased war and increased conflicts. It's always these bigger um, – keep in mind, you know, it's these bigger superpowers that go to war. When they're going to war, it's these – Quote, you know, Orientals and barbarians. Those countries aren't going to war. They're not killing their people, um, and they're reproducing. So it's just, you know, the more powerful you are, the more wealth and affluence you have. It, it just, it's just—it's funny, it's ironic how life is. You know, um, you you get hurt. You yes, you are you're increasing in certain aspects, but it's really diminishing in other parts that maybe you don't recognize. While in other areas, like um, like Carol Quigley talks about, which I'll, one day I'll do an episode on that is that in the peripheral regions, when one civilization is declining, if you want to see where the next civilization will rise, it's in the peripheral regions, it's somewhere else uh, nearby. Or not nearby necessarily close enough, but in a region like farther away. So, so that's something I want to elaborate on um, when we get to that. So he continues and he says, The Holocaust of war and revolution, and perhaps the operation of contraception, abortion, and infanticide, had a dysgenic as well as numerical effect, The ablest men married last, bred last, and died soonest. The dole weakened the poor, luxury weakened the rich. And a long peace deprived all classes in the peninsula of the martial qualities and arts. So, really interesting here. So again, war, revolutions, all this stuff, abortion, infanticide, um, you know, lowering the population. But interestingly, so he talks about how, um... The ablest men married last, bred last and died soonest. So when you're sending your best men to go to war, um, this is something, you know, to keep in mind. When they're, uh, you know, going after resources, or they're defending the country. This is in the case of Rome. You have the barbarians or whoever coming in who are not part of the army, who are not originally part of the, um, you know, the higher classes. They, they're not fighting these wars and whatnot. They're too busy reproducing and creating the next generation while you're not having kids and you're dying um, for the for the civilization. So, so that happened there. Then he gives a quick example of like Germany. Um, I don't want to get into that, like how the um, you know the, the Germanic people and whatever rose and whatnot. So I'm just gonna skip that. But he talks about how the rapidly breeding Germans could not understand the classic culture, did not accept it, did not transmit it. The rapidly breeding Orientals were mostly of a mind to destroy that culture. The Romans possessing it sacrificed it to the comforts of sterility. Rome was conquered not by barbarian invasion from without, but by barbarian multiplication from within. So kind of like I said, the people don't really uh, absorb the culture, the norms, all that stuff. Um, So they have theirs, the barbarians have theirs, and they bring it into the civilization. So so imagine, uh, you have their culture and your culture, but again, you're not reproducing and they're reproducing. You're going to war and your best men are dying and not, you know, uh, reproducing and uh, having the best kids or whatever. And they are constantly having kids and reproducing. So what do you think is going to happen over time? You know, those kids who understand that culture and those norms and way of life and those traditions are going to basically take over um, the civilization from inside. And that's just that's just nature. That's just how it happens. Um, yeah, he says, Rome was conquered not by barbarian invasion from without, But by barbarian multiplication from within. Then he continues he says, The moral decay contributed to the dissolution. The character had been formed by arduous simplicities and a supporting faith relaxed in the sunshine of wealth and the freedom of unbelief. Men had now, in the middle and upper classes, the means to yield to temptation and only expediency to restrain them. Urban congestion multiplied contacts and frustrated surveillance. Immigration brought together a hundred cultures, whose differences rubbed themselves out into indifference. Moral and aesthetic standards were lowered by the magnetism of the mass. and sex, ran riot and freedom, while political liberty decayed. I mean, everything happening today. Basically, we have little political liberty. The uh, there's like a boom in urban uh, living. The cities are uh, you know congested, congested, and people aren't having kids in those cities and whatnot. Um, and the immigration has bringing in multiple cultures, and we're seeing the, you know, we're seeing that today. It's just kind of, you know, this idea of the melting pot is just not viable, I don't think. You know, um, people want to be next to, near people that are like them, that are similar to them, that share very, um, you know, similar traditions and all that stuff. And we, in this country, you kind of force them to adopt this Americanism, I guess. But you can never really, uh, you know, You can do that, but you look at countries like Norway or Sweden, or ones that have an identity, Japan, um, that have, like, you know what you're getting, or who you're going to see when you go there. They have a core, central thing. And in countries like this, in, like, the Roman Empire, when you start bringing people in, look, it's going to, I'm not saying it's bad or good, I'm just saying the reality is it's going to change um, from within. So, that's just something to remember there. continues on, "...it was because Rome was already dying that Christianity grew so rapidly." Men lost faith in the state not because Christianity held them aloof, but because the state defended wealth against poverty, fought to capture slaves, taxed toil to support luxury, and failed to protect its people from famine, pestilence, invasion, and destitution. Forgivably, they turned from Caesar preaching war to Christ preaching peace, from incredible brutality to unprecedented charity, from a life without hope or dignity to a faith that consoled their poverty and honored their humanity." So I skipped a section, but basically what he talks about was, um, you know, the greatest historians say, said that Christianity was the chief cause of Rome's fall, but Will Durant basically says, no, it, it wasn't. Now Christianity did, um, you know, it did have some effects and whatnot, but it wasn't that, uh, Christianity came in like, uh, decayed Rome. It wasn't religion, um. You know, he says that the breakup of the old religion had begun long before Christ. There were more vigorous attacks upon it, um, and he gives cities than uh, you know than than what they thought. So the moral dis- moral disintegration had begun with the Roman conquest of Greece and had culminated under Nero. Thereafter, Roman morals improved, and the ethical influence of Christianity Christianity upon Roman life was largely a wholesome one. So he talks about how you know people went from Caesar. Who is preaching war again to Christ? Who is preaching peace? Because when you have these different, um, and maybe this is like a white pill for some people, you know, when when the when times get tough in an empire or civilization, and fatigue sets in, which is kind of happening today, and the and the leaders are openly advocating for war. Their people are starving. People are in debt. People are the economy is falling apart. The cultural the culture is polarized. People are fighting one another. Uh, the, the culture is just toxic, you know, kind of like what's happening today, people are going to turn away from those leaders, and they're going to turn towards messages of peace, of um, charity, of helping one another, because that's like, that's the default, I think, you know, to being, being an optimist. I think at the end of the day, the default position is that people don't want to be um, uh, against one another. They, they want to work together, they want to help each other out. Now, unfortunately, some people... You know, like the intelligentsia and and the people and the useful idiots that follow them, they need to make the culture this way. They need to kind of do these things. But the default for most people is that they just want to, um, you know, be humans, help one another, have have dignity, have peace, have prosperity. They don't want to have these things like, um, you know, wars and worrying about invasions and all this politics involved in everything. So that's what happens. People turned to, People naturally turned to Christ, turned to religion, when the situation got worse. So he talks about how um, Rome was not destroyed by Christianity any more than by barbarian invasion. It was an empty shell when Christianity rose to influence and invasion came. So Christianity wasn't a uh, cause of Rome's falling. Rome's falling um, led to Christianity increasing. So then he talks about the economic causes of Rome's decline had already been stated as prerequisite to the understanding of Diocletian's reforms. So now we're getting into um, the economic uh, reason for the fall, which is interesting because we're experiencing a lot of this today. The loss of provincial markets to provincial competition. So outsourcing, for example, outsourcing our jobs overseas. Now, I'm all for free trade and everything, but look, the reality is, um, you know, this is one of the things that Will Durant's pointing to is that the the farmers or the people that are making this country great when you outsource their work um, you know that that has an effect now some people might say well look globalization is great and all that and that is true but it's, you're really not operating in a free market if you know these people these people that have power the elites when they can do business overseas and they can do things that's fine with them they have the means they have the power they have the legal standing to do that But if you want to do business with someone overseas, there's laws and regulations and all these things. So you're not operating on like a a fair playing field, in my opinion, and truthfully, you're not. So when these things are getting outsourced, it's not like you can outsource. um, I mean, you can, you can outsource your work and whatnot, but it's a lot easier for those people with power. And then, you know, it creates this wealth gap. You know, you wonder why Amazon and all these companies have like global reach, yet you're a farmer who's, uh, or you're working at a factory and you're. Your jobs being outsourced somewhere else, and there's probably deals being made where certain people are getting paid and at your expense. You know that's just the reality of it. So he talks about um, the destructive war between rich and poor, the rising cost of armies, um, doles, basically welfare, public works, and expanding bureaucracy, parasitic court, the depreciation of currency, discouragement of ability, and the absorption of investment capital by co- confiscatory taxation. Literally everything there is happening today. The wars, um, the cost of armies, so, like, you know, half our budget goes to defense. Welfare is increasing. I think, while I'm saying this, close to 40% of this country is dependent on government welfare, uh, which is done on purpose, to create dependency on government. Um, so that's, that's happening there. An expanding bureaucracy, the government's always expanding. The court systems seem flawed. I mean, once politics enters the court system, I think, and people really see that, um, you know, once that like last domino, I believe the court systems. I think you're gonna have a lot of problems. But for now, you know the courts are kind of going through their thing. Depreciation of currency. I mean, we're printing trillions of dollars constantly, so our currency is worth like, you know, that's the rising cost of everything. Is because the money supply is going up, and then taxation. I mean, look at this taxation. Uh, just recently, uh, this administration in this country. Made it so the government can look at your own private bank accounts to know what's in it, so they can tax you for it, so you can't evade taxes. And then they went and hired tens of thousands of people to work um, for the IRS to make sure that they have the manpower to be able to collect taxes. So these people, the elites, spend all this money. They 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 print trillions, right, and they depreciate your currency, your money, your hard earned money, on top of the tax, like the sales tax, property tax, uh, income tax, all the taxes that they hit you with. And then what do they do? They want to tax you more, to keep paying for their stuff. So their lavish life, their security detail, their bonuses, their um, you know, constant growing and growing, and the middle class takes the hit. But why does this happen? Because the middle class is divided because half of them, the useful idiots, just fall for the tricks, fall for the propaganda, and they attack the other half, their own neighbors, their own people while the establishment, while the government that they worship continues to grow, um, and they get hit too, it's not like they're benefiting, but they're just like, you know, the teacher's pet, the lap dog that wants a pat on the head, and they're not gonna get it, but they just think they will, so they just kind of go with it. It's a little tangent there, but it's true, you know? I mean, it's just, it's frustrating because you see people working hard, and then the government comes and wants to tax you more, um, yeah, not a good look. It talks about, um... You know, the way of life and how uh, Rome was a political ghost surviving its economic death. He mentions that. He talks about um, the political causes of decay now. So he moves from economic, which literally all of the economic ones are happening today, to the political. He talks about the political causes of decay were rooted in one fact that increasing despotism destroyed the citizen's civic sense and dried up statesmanship at its source. Powerless to express his political will except by violence, the Roman lost interest in government and became absorbed in his business, his amusements, his legion, or his individual salvation. Patriotism and the pagan religion had been bound together and now together decayed. Then, he says, the Senate, losing ever more of its power and prestige after uh, Pertinax, relapsed into uh, subversiveness or venality, and the last barrier fell that might have saved the state from militarism and anarchy. Local governments overrun by imperial... Uh, correctors and exactors no longer attracted first-rate men. So interesting here. So he's talking about government, how uh, the people that are in government, people that are in positions of power, are not the people that should be there. You're not attracting the best people for those positions, which kind of can account for why the infrastructure sucks, why the plans are horrible, while you know, you're putting the worst people, because the good people don't want to be in these positions. They don't want... You know, they're kind of sick of the system and everything, so they are not attracted to these things. Um, and then he gives the example of, um, you know, that their inability to tax. So this is interesting. So the taxes, um, <laughs> the taxes of uh, in Greece or sorry in Rome were were low. People were finding ways to not pay taxes, and one of those ways was that um, I believe if you had joined the church, if you were um, a member of the clergy. You were um, you were exempt from multiple taxes. I think that that was under Constantine. So when you uh, so when Constantine what he did, he made it so if you are a uh, member of the clergy, th- there was there was re- there was ways that you uh, there was things you had to meet to become a member of the cr- clergy because so many people were applying for that so they could avoid the taxes. So this is another thing here you see is that people start. Um, avoiding taxes. And why wouldn't they, they're getting taxed like crazy. Like I said, inflation's going up. So the inability to tax is something that, uh, is a precursor to a decay. And that's what's happening now. But amazingly, with all the problems I just mentioned, the one area that the government of course will go after is their ability to tax you, you know? So like, for example, the sick, if you have $600 in your bank account, they'll go after you. Um, if you have, uh, you know, the, th- the tens of thousands of workers they're going to hire. They'll put all their manpower into not making the system better, but to basically punish you. Um, so that's what happened there as well. So the rise of provincial and mercenary armies. That's another thing. Um, the armies of Rome were no longer Roman armies. They were composed chiefly of provincial, largely of barbarians. They fought not for their altars and their homes, but for their wages their, uh, and their loot. They attacked and plundered the cities of the empire with more relish than they showed in facing the enemy. Most of them were the sons of peasants who hated the rich and the cities as exploiters of the poor and the countryside. So he's talking about here, um, you know, the rise of mercenaries, um, that the armies, that the people in the army weren't really fighting for the same things anymore. They weren't fighting for like the honor of the civilization. They were fighting for their own benefit, for their own wages, for their own, um, for their homes and all that. And I mean, look at it. You look at World War Two, for example. Look at the demographics of World War Two, and again, I'm not saying that immigrants are bad or whatever, but truly, you look at the demographics of World War Two, World War One, and you look at the demographics of the military now, and it's different. There is a, definitely a difference, and now you know with the benefits of serving in the military, where it's you know tuition reimbursement or uh, you know help with your down payment on a house or interest rate perks or um, healthcare uh, benefits and all that stuff, people are going to join the army for these things rather than for the, for the cause, you know, for the, for the nation, for the country, for whatever it is. And so one of the signs actually I think, um, it, this, isn't, this isn't Will Durant, this is just me, I've always thought that if you notice that an army, a present day army would lose to a past army, then that's a sign that the, the country is like very much decaying. And I think that would be true today. I I think that the U.S. military in maybe 2003, 4, 5, 6 would beat the U.S. military today, to be honest with you. And I think it was... Um, I forget who it was. It was... Uh, there was a, there's a, several historians that I've listened to that talked about how the World War One German army would um, beat the World War Two like the Nazis. And then look what happened to them. They fell. And there's multiple examples of this where just... The army, despite technological advances, just the character, um, there's something that causes the present one to be weaker than the than the past one. So that's something to keep in mind. So that yeah, that's another example is the the military um, the military decay, the military answer to there. And then he continues and he says, The invading barbarians merely entered where weakness had opened the door, and where the failure of biological, moral, economic, and political statesmanship had left the stage to chaos and decay. So You know, one of the things I wrote when I uh, read this, I wrote China next to there with a question mark. And Now, I don't think China is as big of a threat as people make it out to be. I think there's a lot of China hawks today that want to go to war with China, and China can really uh, make sure that the information that comes out of there is really censored, so most people don't know how bad it is um, inside the country, and it is pretty bad. They have their own problems, and I don't think they are as big of a threat as people think. Um, At the end of the day... You know, when push comes to shove, when military action takes place, I, the U.S. would probably destroy them, would Would destroy them. Um, you know, that's why they focus on economic um, warfare, if you want to call it that. But the reason I say that is because he—well, Durant talks about how these outside invaders or whatever come in where they find weaknesses in a country. And so, you know, the invading barbarians, they, they come in where there's weaknesses, where there's openings— um, where there's failures of the people that were here before, of the civilization before, that's where the entrances come in. Now that might sound offensive to a lot of people because you know they say we're a melting pot, we're a nation of immigrants and all that, and that's true. That is true. But look, the reality is, you're you're changing the country. But again, it's not. I'm not saying it's good or bad. Just the reality is, you have X country with X identity, and you change it demographically, culturally. Constitutionally, you're changing it so many times; that it just doesn't become. It's no longer that thing. It's no longer what the original thing is. Now it is something else. Now you could talk about if that's better or worse, but the point is, is that it's something else and something new. And so, this is one of the, um, yeah, it's one of the one of the causes of decay. So we, we talked about economic, political, military decay, um, cultural decay. You know, with the lessening of uh, populations, um, how people lost faith in the state by turning to Christianity. He defended against the claims that Christianity and religion caused the decay, Um, biological factors, you know, people weren't having kids. So the the epilogue, again, is four pages, four or five pages. And so I wanted to just do a quick recap of this because it's been a minute since I have put out something. And the reason for that is because I'm really doing a comprehensive... um, Study of Carol Quigley's Evolution of Civilizations, which I will get to, and I want to do that, but I want to make sure that's such a deep dive that it's important to understand that. So for now, uh, this is something that people can look at. Again, it's Caesar and Christ by Will Durant. What I read was the epilogue, so you can kind of look at it yourself and read the rest of it um, and make your determination and see if there's parallels between the United States and Rome, not just the Empire, but the Republic as well, um, and how it decayed, and where we're going. And just keep in mind, Rome lasted a long time, and we are already experiencing um, many of the characteristics of Rome's fall when we're barely 200 years old as a country. So with that said, this wraps up episode 4, and I hope you enjoy it, and stay tuned for the next one.